I had a bunch of different ideas bouncing around in my head about what I should be uh, speaking about tonight. And uh, I was just confirmed by the music that was just sung that I picked the right subject. It, it was really bizarre because I was thinking of, well, we're coming off or we're right in the middle of the, uh, the Let's Imagine campaign. We could talk about the awesome things that are happening with that. I do have to mention one thing along those lines. Um, Regina, once again, my beautiful bride, she quit her career years ago as a childcare director uh, to raise our kids. So 20, almost 26 years ago, she walked away from her career to, walk, to uh, raise, her kid, raise our kids. And let's imagine came around recently, we put our pledge in, and we started thinking about, well, how are we going to pay for this? And uh, Good Friday, Good Friday morning, a friend from an old church reached out to her and said, hey, do you know anybody that's qualified and available as a uh, child care center director? Yeah, I might know somebody. So uh, just out of the blue, Friday, haven't spoken with, uh, with this friend for quite a while, but now looks like Regina's going back to work uh, on Monday. So God's timing, God, God has everything, and, and it's, it's so... We could talk about Let's Imagine and the wonderful things that are happening, but God kept bringing me back to another subject. We could talk about apologetics. I'm, I'm a big apologetics nerd. If you saw any of my prior times up here on this, uh, in this format speaking, it was all about apologetics. And apologetics is the art and science of proving the Bible. And I thought, you know what? It's just after Easter, and you know what? There's so much proof regarding the empty tomb. Salvation doesn't end at the cross. Salvation is really about the empty tomb. And uh, as we read in 1 Corinthians, it's confirmed that if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. So I'm thinking, okay, let's go. Oh, there it is. And you know what? Another miracle. That wasn't even supposed to be working. That was down uh, not too long ago, but God's got it working. So thank the Lord. So I got to think, you know, coming off of Easter, that's a great way to go. Let's, let's go with the apologetics. But God kept bringing me back to a totally different message. And these songs that were just sung are all included in my message. And no one knew this was the message that I had planned. No one knew. Not even pastor, which is pretty gutsy to let a guy come up here and start speaking and not even know what he's going to talk about. So I'm, I've just, it's been confirmed in my spirit that I picked the right topic. But there is some notes here about the empty tune. I can't get away from uh, apologetics entirely. <laughs> As uh, Pastor mentioned on Sunday, um, people are often questioned about their faith and why they believe. And Pastor made a very good point that people will not suffer and die for something they know is a lie. People will suffer and die for things that are false, happens all the time, but it's not when they know it's a lie. The disciples knew the truth, knew all they had to do was deny the truth about Christ, and they would have lived on earth. They would have died otherwise, but they would not have suffered and died on this earth. But they were willing to go through the suffering, the pain, and the death because they knew the truth about the resurrection. And it's not just the Bible we learn these things from. 
if we dig into Jewish history, there was a uh, historian of Jewish history, of course a historian does history, um, named uh, Josephus. He wrote about the Christians being willing to die for their beliefs. There are other writers that, re- that wrote about the Christians and the amazing beliefs they had and that they must have seen something real and true. Lots of writings about what our Christian faith founders did. Compare that to the writings of other things we accept as true in history, such as the Trojan Wars. That's where the, the word Trojan horse comes from. There's only one, one historical document written hundreds of years after that event, and yet we take that as truth. Yet there are hundreds of documents and people that have written about the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and Satan tries to push that out, tries to keep it out of our schools, tries to keep it out of the history books. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, the truth of the resurrection can be proven. We don't need to prove it. But it can be proven. So if you ever run into anybody that doubts, or if you start having your own doubts, start doing your research. There was a book written um, called Evidence That Demands, I think it was Evidence That Demands a Verdict. I might be getting that wrong. This was an author, or a, uh, a reporter, who studied the crime beat. I believe his name was Josh McDowell. And he went in and started researching Scripture, specifically Jesus and the resurrection, attempting to prove that it's false. And this guy spent his life in courtrooms writing about it. When he got all done, he realized the truth of Christ and the resurrection. But we're not going there today. But I had to get there. There's something in my spirit where I got to talk apologetics anytime I get an opportunity. Where we are going. Okay, here we go. We're going to get right into the meat of it. Once you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been baptized in his name, and you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, everything's going to be wonderful, peaches and cream, unicorns and rainbows. (laughs) Pastor, you disagree with that? I do too. Let's try that again. How about... uh, well, let's, let's tone that back a little bit. I've heard it said many times before, the Lord will never give you anything you can't handle. You know, i got to disagree with that one also. I've been through a lot of things in my life that I can't handle. There's a lot of things going around that I can't handle. I think we, we can better look at it like the Lord's never going to give us anything that he can't handle. And there are several, several examples in Scripture of when this happens. And what we're going to do today, instead of me getting all nerdy on you, going through apologetics, we're going to go through a ton of Scriptures where people have faced things, people have gone through some things, and how they dealt with it, how they looked at it, whether they were looking at the blessings right in front of them or if they were looking at the problems right in front of them, totally changed the outcome of the situation. So the Lord himself told us, in this world, you will have tribulation. We're going to have problems. The Lord told us we're going to have problems. But he also went on to say, take heart, I have overcome 
the world. So the title of my message tonight is, What Are You Looking At? What are you looking at? Are you looking at your blessings? Are you looking at what you have? Or are you looking at your problems? And we're going to be going through a ton of scriptures here. And a lot of them, I hope, maybe I'm taking you through a little different, little different angle on things than what you normally see. And these are going to be all scriptures. These are all Bible stories. Anybody that's been in the church more than a few months is very familiar with. But I'm hoping I can bring a little different angle to it for you. And I wouldn't be me if I didn't start with the Garden of Eden. Let me set the tone for you here. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. Everything was perfect. They were given dominion over everything. The Bible tells it this way. So God created mankind in his own image. Whoa, that's a huge one right there. Just being created in the image of Almighty God. But he continues, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and in the birds in the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground. God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. Now that part I'm a little disappointed because they weren't eating meat at that point, but that's okay. Uh, And God saw all that he made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So Adam and Eve, living in a perfect creation, they had everything, anything that could have, they could ever have first conceived of they could had they had dominion over everything just imagine if you had everything in the world at your fingertips and you were in charge of it that's cool except the one thing there was one little thing that God said they couldn't have so instead of having their eyes all around and all their blessings everything that was available to them They got focused on the one thing they couldn't have. The one thing. Bible tells it like this. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now there's part of this whole story that people sometimes forget. There were two special trees in that garden. There was the tree of life in the garden. The Lord didn't prohibit them from having fruit from the tree of life. He only said the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For all of recorded history, mankind has been looking for the fountain of youth, finding ways to extend life, trying to to, to do exactly what we could have done from the beginning, and that's simply reach out and eat from the tree of life. But isn't it so much like us? human beings, that we don't look at our blessings. We don't look at the awesome, wonderful things around us that the Lord has blessed us with. We get distracted by the one thing we don't have. And we can't let that happen. We can't make the same mistakes over and over again. Moving on to another story we're all very familiar with. And this is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you're not very familiar with it, Abraham's 
nephew, Lot, decided to settle with his family in or around the city of Sodom. And it was an evil, evil, horrible town. Evil. And the Lord designated it for destruction. Long story short, the Lord sent two angels into Sodom to save Lot and his family. So here's the scene. You've got two angels in Lot's house saying, we got to get out of here. We're go- the Lord is going to destroy this, this city. you got evil men pounding on the doors on the outside trying to get in to do horrible things to the, the people they thought were visitors but were actually angels of the Lord. These angels blinded those guys, so they're already showing that, hey, we're not just people. We are God's servants. They start leading Lot's family out by the hand, literally leading them out by the hand. And this is how scripture tells it. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hands and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives, don't look back, and don't stop anywhere on the plain. Flee for your lives, don't look back, don't stop anywhere on the plains. Flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away. Destruction is raining down behind them. Angels are leading them. I mean, I can just imagine the scene. You, you hear all this craziness going on behind you, but there's the angel of the Lord, two of them leading you to salvation away from the dangers behind you. All they had to do was stay focused on the angels of the Lord and where they were trying to take them in their lives. But what did Lot's wife do? She looked back. And she looked back and became a pillar of salt. We don't know why she looked back exactly. There are several different theories. But once again, how is that so? How, that is so much like us. So often the Lord has taken us away from something, removed, some, removed us from a, a bad situation that is trying to destroy us. And instead of moving forward with the Lord's plans for our lives, we tend to start taking little peeks over our shoulder, looking back at the, the evil that he just saved us from. I thank God that I haven't been turned to a pillar of salt every time I've glanced back, but we have to take the message as true that if the Lord's let you away from something, don't look at that anymore. It's gone. It's in your past. Look forward at what the Lord is bringing you to. Look forward to your salvation that the Lord has brought you to. All right. Moving ahead, there's, there's something about the Old Testament. There's just so much that we can learn from the Old Testament. We're going to stay there for a while. We're going to talk about the Red Sea just a little bit. Setting the stage once again, the Hebrews, the Israelites, had been slaves in Egypt for generations. Generation after generation, they were slaves. Moses was called to lead them out. The Lord showed miraculous power and authority through Moses, through the plagues, through just things that never could have happened. And everybody's like, yay, it's time to go. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna leave. The Lord, the Lord is going to bring us to the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. Here we come. Everything's awesome. I mean, miracle after miracle. And this is how good the miracles got. Not only did the Egyptians say, Finally, 
get out, leave. We've had enough of you. If you don't leave, we're going to die. They said, here, take a bunch of stuff with you. Take a bunch of gold. Take a bunch of silver. Just go. Take your stuff. So now they go from being slaves to the miraculous hand of God, leading them out, and everything's good, everything's wonderful, and then, boom, they hit their first problem. There's a big ocean in front, a big, big sea in front of us. What are we going to do? Now, this whole time that they were leading, being led out of Egypt, the Lord was leading them in a pillar of smoke or a pillar of fire, depending on whether it was day or night. So they had the miraculous signs and wonders getting them out of Egypt. They had the Lord right there in front of them, displayed, and they're following, and then boom, they hit their first obstacle. Well, bummer, what are we going to do now? There's, there's a red, <gasps> what's coming after them? Now Pharaoh's army starts coming after them. Now, instead of focusing on the, the Lord was still in front of them at this point, still leading them towards the promised land, and they all turned, and they start looking at their problems again. The Lord delivered them from the problems. He was right in front of them, but they turn and look. Oh, it would have been better for us to die in Egypt. We're going to get slaughtered right here. No, 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 no. The Lord promised you that you would make it. His promises always come true. He never fails on his promises, yet they started getting their eyes off the glory and their eyes on the problem. The Lord said, wait, hey, hey, no, you can't do this. He came around, the pillar of cloud and fire came and stood between the Israelites and the Egyptians and Israelites to block them, basically saying, hey, don't look at them, look at me. Look at me. I, I got this. Don't worry about it. I got this. So he's doing everything he can. Meanwhile, he's telling Moses, open up the Red Sea. And sure enough, we all know the story. All night long, while the Lord is blocking the view so they can't see the enemy, all they see is the miraculous. The seas part, and away they go. But man, how I, just, I, I don't understand how the Israelites got their eyes off the Lord, started looking at the problems. But they're human, and I know I've done it. They got to keep their eyes on the Lord. And I would read through that whole story, but we're already pushing through on time, and I got a lot to get through. So, all right. Once again, we're going to stay in the Old Testament. Here's one that I hope I can bring a little fresh light. Everybody's heard about the manna and the quail in the desert. Long story short, they're going through the desert, they're uh, hungry, Lord sends them manna, bread-like substance. Every morning, all they had to do was go out and pick it up. Every morning, go pick it up, except on the Sabbath. They should have eaten what they picked up double of the day before. That's awesome. Every morning, the Lord's providing, every morning. But there was a group of people that came with them out of Egypt. Some interpretations of the Bible call them a rabble. Some call them a mixed group. I think we've got that one. I'm jumping all over the place, and I hope we can... Uh... Let's see. Now, doesn't matter. Okay, but anyway, long story short, just imagine you're all the Israelites and the mixed group that came out of, uh, came out of Egypt. 
But you're primarily the mixed group that came out, the rabble. This whole crew, you're all excited. You're like, this is awesome. We got manna to eat every day. We don't have to do anything for it. We just have to go out and pick it up. You guys over here, you're like, I want some meat. I'm a carnivore. I want to eat some meat. Why can't we eat some meat? Why do we got to eat the bread all the time? And they start complaining before the Lord. They're not thankful for the blessings anymore because it's not enough, of, not enough anymore. They start complaining, start grumbling to the Lord. So you know what the Lord does? He goes, okay. And this is how he deals with it. He says, now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two, two cubits deep all around the camp, as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 omers. Then they spread them out all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth. Basically what this means was they hadn't swallowed yet. They had just taken their first bites. And what did the Lord do? He strikes them with a plague, a severe plague. The Anger of the Lord burned against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore, the place was named Kibroth Hatava. I don't know if that's the right way to pronounce it. Because there, and here's the key, there they buried the people who had craved other food. So who died? These folks. Because they were craving. Who got the blessings? Who got to eat the quail and not die? The people that were content in the first place. The people that were thankful for the manna, Lord, I'm good. I appreciate all you've done for me. Thanks for this manna. These people are over here grumbling and complaining. The Lord sends the manna. They die, or sends the quail. They die. Everyone else gets the, gets the quail. What a lesson that is for us in being content in what the Lord has provided for us. If, if we're not content with what the Lord has given us, why in the world would he give us more? we got to look at our blessings. we got to be thankful for our blessings and not grumble about what we don't have. You start grumbling about what we don't have, he's going to take away what you do have. So what are you looking at? Are you looking at your blessings? As small as they may be, you may see your neighbors getting blessed with all kinds of new vehicles and things, but the Lord's blessing you too. Look at your blessings, and he will multiply them. I'm sorry to call you folks out like that. You're okay. You're actually okay. Got pastor's wife sitting over here going, I wasn't complaining. <laughs> you weren't part of the rabble? Okay. All right, let's move on. Next, staying in, uh, staying in Exodus, Numbers, that whole part of the Bible. After they had gotten through the Red Sea, more miraculous things going on. Quail, manna, everything's awesome. They get to the Jordan River. The promised land is right on the other side, a land flowing with milk and honey. The Lord has promised, yep, I'm going to give it to you, and it's going to be yours for the taking, and it's going to be awesome. The Lord tells Moses. Now, this is where choice of words that we use in our life are very important. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan which I am giving to the Israelites for, from each ancestral tribe to send one of, the, one of its leaders. Okay, let's explore. 
The word explore, when I hear explore, to me that's look around. Look how awesome it is. Look at the, look at the trees. Look at the rivers. Look at the fruit. Let, wow! That's exploring to me. Seeing the awesomeness. The Lord told Moses to send men to explore. But what did Moses say to the men? And this is where words matter. Moses sent them to explore Canaan. He said, go up through the Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. Whoa, to me, that's not exploring. That's a military reconnaissance because you're worried about what's on the other side. It's like, ooh, are there walls? Are there cities? Are there issues? Are there problems over there that we're going to have to deal with? No, the Lord didn't say to do that. He said, go explore it. See how awesome it is. See that my promises are coming true. The land is right there. So I can see Caleb and Joshua over there. They're explorers. They're like, dude, this is awesome. Look at these grapes. Look at these pomegranates. Look at these. Fr-. And the other guys, the other 10 are like, come on. Don't, don't hide. There's giants. We're going to see the giants. That's not cool. Moses put it in their heads that there's going to be problems. And guess what they found? They found problems. They found exactly what they were looking for. They found the promises were exactly what the Lord said. But unfortunately, Moses put it in her head that there's going to be issues. There's going to be problems. Tell me about the fortified cities. I mean, this is silly. Tell me what kind of land they live in. Is it good or is it bad? It's a land flowing with milk and honey. That's what the Lord promised. You knew the land was going to be good. Be careful with your words. When you tell someone something, that automatically puts a thought in their mind. If you tell someone, yeah, you might be able to do it, you might not be able to do it, let's see what the Lord says. No, 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 just say, hey, the Lord's got this, the Lord's going before you, we're going to take care of this, he's going to take care of this. Speak positively into people's lives. Don't speak negatively into people's lives. See, we we all know what happened. They came back. They came back from their exploration, and this is what the Bible tells us. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. The fruit of the land. They had one bunch of grapes had to be carried on a pole between two guys. The fruit of the land. The promise was there. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But. The big but. But the people who live there are powerful. I don't care. The Lord said it's ours. Let's go get it. And that's exactly what Joshua and Caleb said. Yeah, okay, yeah, there's people there. There's giants there. There's walled cities there. Who cares? Let's go. The Lord said it's ours. Let's go get it. But these other ten, they circulated a bad report. They started telling bad things about what was going on. And guess what? They fell for it. And the Lord said, okay, you don't want to go? You don't want to go to the place I prepared for you, a land flowing with milk and honey that you just saw is exactly the way I promised it. Okay, fine, you're not going. Back to the desert you go. If they had just looked at the promise, if they had looked that... 
you know what, the Lord, Lord, you're right. It's exactly what you said. But instead, they looked at the giants, they looked at the walled cities, and they got scared. Well, when the Lord's with you, there's nothing to be scared about. Nothing. Another story, David and Goliath. We all know the story about David and Goliath. David was just a, uh, a young man, youngest of all his brothers at that time. And the Israelites, they were at war with the Philistines. In those days, war was a little different than it is today. Back then, it was not uncommon for one side to say, okay, let's have a battle at this time, at this place, and I'll tell you what, we're not even going to send our whole armies at, at each other. We'll pick our champion, you pick your champion, they'll battle out, winner take all. Okay. Well, apparently they, uh, they agreed to that before they saw Goliath. Goliath, according to scripture, was approximately nine feet tall. He was the Philistine champion. This guy was huge. Back in those days, historians tell us that uh, the average Israelite was probably a little over five feet tall. And David was no giant among men at that time. So he wasn't even supposed to be in the, in the war. He was back home being a shepherd. He was taking care of the family sheep. The brothers were in battle. And Goliath was taunting the children of God. Goliath was basically saying, come on, I'll take any one of you. And all the Israelites, even though they knew the Lord was with them, they knew the Lord could take care of the problem, they weren't focused on the Lord. They were, there's a big problem there. Uh, you know what? Let's all look at our problem. Didn't make the problem go away. You stare at your problems long enough, they're just going to get bigger. You're looking at your problems, focusing on your problems is not going to make them go away. Then the little, little David shows up. He shows up with some bread and some, uh, some cheese for his brothers. His dad wanted him to find out how things are going at the front. And David's like, what are you guys doing? It's just a giant. No big deal. The Lord's with us. We can take him. David got his focus right. David got his focus on the Lord and the promises and the blessings. And the giant didn't matter. The giant didn't matter at all. David went out there and said, I can do this. The Lord's with me. I'm going to take care of this. And that's exactly what he does. He goes out with a sling and a stone, knocks the giant down. And this is how it's recorded. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. See, I think that's interesting. Every pastor mentioned this the other day. We all think about the sling and the stone. And before the battle even started, David knew he was going to cut off the giant's head. He wasn't just going to beat him. He was taking the whole head with him. And this very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. David was fully aware of the strength of the Philistine army, fully aware of the size and power of this giant, but he was more aware of the power of God and the promises of God, and that's where his focus was, and that's why he killed the giant. In an interesting note, 
after he cut off the giant's head, Goliath said he actually took the head with him, showed it off a little bit. He also took Goliath's sword. That sword shows up later in Scripture as David is getting chased by Saul. Saul wants to kill him. David needs a sword. What sword does he go get? The same sword that was meant to kill him. He had his focus right. He killed the giant, and he took exactly what was destined to kill him, flipped the script, and used it for his own defense. All right, here's a trivia question. Pastor, you can't answer. I'm going to list three names, and we'll see if anyone can tell me who they, who they are. Hananiah, Michelle, and Ezra. I hope I pronounced that right. Anyone? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their real names, their real Hebrew names, were Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. If you recall, Israel sort of got away from the Lord a little bit, got their focus wrong, and the Lord said, okay, you want to start serving idols? You want to start not serving me? You want to start breaking our covenant? Because God can't break his covenant, only we can. God let Israelites be overrun by the Babylonians. Well, one thing that the Babylonians would always do when they would take over an area, they would take the best and the brightest of that country and try to incorporate them into their own leadership. But in doing so, they would try to break them away from their original roots, from their original foundings. And one thing that they always did was they changed the names. They took their Hebrew names away and gave them Babylonian names. And that's how we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're Israel, or they're, uh, they're Babylonian names. Well, these young men, they were serving as they were instructed in Babylon. But in Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar set up a statue that needed to be worshipped and bowed down to any time the music played. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were still true to the Lord they still knew the real God, and they refused to bow down. The law was, if you didn't bow down to this, this statue, if you didn't worship this statue, you were going to have to be thrown into the blazing, fiery furnace. The blazing, fiery furnace. Well, they knew that. They said, fine. This is how, uh, how Scripture recalls it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. This is after the king said, you're going to have to get in the furnace, boys. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And this is the part that I think is amazing. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That, to me, that's amazing faith. That is, that is true. You know what, king? You send us in that furnace. The Lord's going to save us, going to protect us. But, you know, if he doesn't, we're good with it because we're going to stay true to the Lord. And to me, that is just, that is amazing faith. 
And the story goes on. Then Nebuchadnezzar, who was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Wow. So many different lessons can be learned from this, but a couple of them. Number one, the Lord made him go through the, the, the fiery furnace. He could have removed the furnace. He could have put out the flames. But sometimes we got to walk through some stuff. Sometimes we've got to go through some stuff, and if we keep our focus on the Lord, those things won't be a problem for us. The problems will still exist. He won't necessarily remove the problems, but he will protect us from those problems. Same thing with Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den, same situation. He defied the king. Wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't stop praying to the Lord. They sent him into the lion's den. The Lord could have removed the lions. Could have poofed. The lions were gone, but he didn't because Daniel had to go through some things. That's how it is in our lives. Not every time there's a problem or an issue are we going to be able to have the Lord remove it. We might have to walk through it. But if we keep our focus right, the Lord's going to protect us as we walk through it. All right. Oh, here's one of my favorite. I hope I'm not boring you with all this Bible stuff. Back when the, the kids were young, I had a favorite story I loved to read to the kids. And not because it was necessarily my favorite story, but I got to use my God voice. And it's the story of Jonah. So we're going to do that. This, this little kid's Bible we ha- used to have had the story of Jonah in it. And one of the lines was, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them to stop being so bad. I love doing that. That was fun. So, story of Jonah, we, most people know the story of Jonah. He's told to go to Nineveh, preach against the city of Nineveh because it's going to be destroyed by the Lord. Jonah's like, I don't want to do that. So he decides to head off the other way. But one thing we miss is we, we, we don't really focus on why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Why didn't he want to go? I'll tell you why he didn't want to go. 
because they were an evil city that were the enemies of Israel. This wasn't, this, this wasn't a Hebrew community. This was an Assyrian community. The thorn in the side to the Hebrews, they were an evil community, and Jonah wanted them to die. He wanted them to get destroyed. And aren't there people like that sometimes in our lives that we're being called to minister to or preach to? We don't necessarily want to do it because we sort of want to see them get a little something-something. That's not right. That's not right. That's wrong. But I'll tell you what, that's part of our nature. And we, we've got, the, the, I won't go there, but I'll tell you what. The big story from Jonah that I get is if the Lord tells you, you got to go do something, I don't care what you try to do to prevent it, you're going to go do something. So if the Lord puts it on your heart that you're going to have to minister to someone that you maybe don't want to, you're going to do it whether you like it or not. So get your eyes off of the wrongs that they may have done, the wrongs they may have done to you, and realize they are a soul. They, they are loved as much as you are loved by the Lord, and you have a calling to try to save them. And, whoo, that's difficult. That is, that's tough. But if the Lord tells you to do it, you better do it. And that gets us to the New Testament. So we've only got to sell, like, what? Oh, another five hours to go. <laughs> Speaking of when the Lord tells you to do something, you're going to end up doing it. We're going to go through the story of Peter walking on water very briefly and look at it maybe from another angle that I hope maybe is new to you. Just before Peter walks on the water, Jesus feeds the multitudes with two loaves, or five loaves and two fish, performs a miracle right in the eyes of the disciples. They see, they see the miraculous things that he can do. They've already seen all these other things he can do. He's doing awesome stuff. And he says, you know what, guys? You get in this boat, I'll meet you on the other side. So he told them they'll be on the other side. He told them, get in the boat and go. So they should have realized no matter what happens between here and there, we're going to get there because the Lord says, we're going to get there. Well, in the middle of the night, the wind comes up, the storm starts blowing, starts getting crazy. They start getting scared. They think they're going to sink. They think they're going to perish. They think bad things are happening. And then they see someone coming at them, walking on the water. Oh, no, it's a ghost. No, not a ghost. Jesus tells them, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, don't be afraid. Peter said, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus says, okay, come. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. All right, so this is the way I picture the scene. I can't, this, this is just the way I picture it. Storm's raging. Jesus is over there. Peter's like, yeah, tell me to come walk on the water. So he gets out. Boom, his focus is right. He's looking at the Lord, realizing that this, he's doing the miraculous. The Lord, and then he starts looking back. He goes, guys, you see what I'm doing? And he suddenly starts getting in his head about what he's doing. And like I said, I can't prove that scripturally, but it sure makes sense. 
starts looking at, look what I'm doing. This isn't this awesome. And then he starts looking and he starts seeing the waves. He, he took the Lord. The Lord took him from I'm about to die to he's walking on water. Took, the Lord took him from zero to hero. And sometimes when that happens, you know, it's we in our in our mind, we take the Lord and, from being a hero and make him a zero because we're, we're doing it on our own. I'm walking on water. The Lord's not making me walk. I'm, I'm, guys, look what I'm doing. I can't say that for certain. It's not necessarily in the Bible. That's just the way I picture it. But this is what I do know. He's walking on the water. Everything's awesome. He's got his focus. Something gets his focus off the Lord, and he starts looking at his problems again. When he's walking on the water, the problem's still there. The ocean is still, the sea is still churning, the waves, the wind, all the problems are still there. No effect on him because his focus is right. He's looking at the Lord. He's following the Lord. He's searching, and the problems had no effect on him until, what did he do? He saw the wind. He saw the wind. Well, I don't know if you've ever seen wind. It's got to be real windy on the water to actually see wind. Scripture doesn't say he saw the waves. It says he saw the wind. That's a lot of wind when you can see it. He saw the wind, got terrified, started sinking, and the Lord had to save him. That's my take on that story. I hope you enjoyed that one. Moving on to Paul and Silas. Several times, Paul was preaching in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was beaten, whipped, imprisoned. And this is one of the most famous, famous stories of him and, uh, and Silas. They get locked up. They're preaching in the name of the Lord. Their focus is right. Everything's awesome. And they get locked up. And they get locked up in an inner prison. It's not like a prison, you know, today where... You know, you get pizza parties, and they do do pizza parties in prison, just so you don't know. This was the inner prison, no lights, no running water, no sewers. This was nasty, nasty stuff, and their feet were in stocks, which are basically wooden wooden handcuffs for feet, I guess you could say, where you're, you're locked down, can't see a thing. You can hear the rats. There's rats everywhere. Miserable, horrible place. They were serving the Lord, and this is what it got them. They easily could have been, Lord, why have you forsaken us? No. What were they doing? They were singing hymns. They kept their focus right through the problem. And they were singing. And this is, this is the way scripture says it. If I can get to that page. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Well, that's pretty cool. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all of the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Everyone's. Your praise and your hymns and your singing. When you're worshiping the Lord, it doesn't just stay with you. It affects those around you. And I, I could go on and on about scriptural references to, to when people had their focus right, how they were serving the Lord and bad things came. 
But you know what? We don't just have to go to Scripture. we got people in this house that have been dealing with issues and problems and have been such an amazing blessing to me to see and learn from them. One of them is sitting right in the front row here. I recall Sister Esther telling a story about when her feet hurt not too long ago. She drives for a living, and she had horrible foot pain, horrible foot pain. You can't drive when you got horrible foot pain. Well, she could have focused on the pain. It's like, oh, my feet hurt, my feet hurt. You know what she did? And she would tell the story a lot better than I would. She started thanking the Lord for her feet. Thank you, Lord, that I've got feet. Because there are people out there that don't have feet. Her shoes were hurting her. Instead of, instead of being upset with the shoes and the pain, she started praising the Lord that she has shoes because there are people. She was thankful through this problem. She could have looked at the problem, could have looked at the pain. Oh, no, but she had the faith and the trust in the Lord. And guess what? The pain went away. Pain went away. we got all kinds of people in this house that we can learn from. Just the other day, I bumped into... Uh, Brother Jim Fellows in the restroom. This man is going through incredible pain. Incredible pain. He can he he hardly move without being in pain. And I was asking him, how's it going, man? He, what an attitude this guy had. He could have looked at the pain and, man, oh, my back hurts all the time, and I don't know why the Lord's putting me through this. No. He, you know what? I could be paralyzed right now, but I can walk. He said, I could be paralyzed right now, but I got a job. They got me, they got me a bathroom right next to my desk, and I could park right next, to, right next to the office. What a great attitude to have. He wasn't looking at his pain, wasn't looking at his problems. He was looking at his blessings. Yes. Two of my heroes are probably watching online right now, Mark and Ann Curtis. They're, they are going through a trial right now that I, I would not wish on anybody. Not once have I heard them say a single negative word about what they're dealing with. It's all been thankfulness, praising the Lord. Thanks for your prayers. We're going to get through this. It was all focused on the Lord and not their struggle. What amazing, amazing. There are, story, there are stories throughout this group, and it's all about the faith that people have. Don't get discouraged when problems come your way. Please don't get discouraged. A friend of mine once said, if your prayer is that your road is smooth and you don't have any problems and there's no bumps, he says what you're actually praying for is that there's no room for growth, no room for miracles, no room for God to make corrections in your life. It's like, whoa, Basically, you'd be praying, God, get out of here. I just, I don't want to deal with you anymore. So I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not hoping problems, but the Lord said there will be problems. And it's all in how we deal with them. It's all in the faith. People often say, be thankful for everything. That's not what the scripture says. It doesn't say be thankful for everything. First Thessalonians says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. No matter what you're going through, give the Lord thanks. There's some, if you're allowed to speak or think, there's something to be thankful for. Give the Lord thanks in all things. No. No. So often, 
We ask God for the faith to move mountains. Faith to move mountains. That's what we want. We want to be able to come in here and work the miraculous. God gives us all a measure of faith. A measure of faith. And that's what we got to start with. But a measure of faith is not enough to move mountains. you got to exercise this faith. And how do you exercise this faith? By dealing with the little issues that come your way. Dealing with them appropriately. Looking at the Lord and saying, you know what, Lord? You and I together, we got this. I don't, I don't have the strength, but you got the strength. And have the, have the faith that God's going to get you through it. But just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, the Lord's going to deliver me. But even if he doesn't, that's okay. I'm good with it. So, if you really want the faith to move mountains, you got to be willing to start your growth and not be stopped by a little grain of sand. Don't be stopped by the little bumps in the road. Exercise your faith every opportunity you get. A tr problem comes your way, be with the Lord, focus on the blessings, know the Lord's got you, and he's going to get through, and your faith will build, your faith will grow. It'll be b bigger than a mustard seed eventually, and at that point, you and the Lord together can move mountains. Thank you for your time. Oh man, what a great what a great word tonight. Listening to all of these stories and thank God for the word that we have that we can still study and reflect on and you know as brother Woodcox was speaking I just kept I just keep thinking that God never changes. He never cha I I'm not the same person I was last year or 10 years ago. But God is He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's proven himself faithful time and time and time again. And I, I just celebrate that. I thank God for that because we are going into an exciting time, an exciting season in the history of this church. And uh, no matter what may come, I, I believe we're going to see the miraculous. Uh, there, there's going to be highs and there may be some lows. But as long as we keep our eyes lifted unto the hills... God's got us. God is with us. God is for us. He's not going to let it fall apart. He's going to help us and divinely assist us because he's proven himself faithful. He cannot be unfaithful. So thank God. Let, let's go ahead and close our eyes. We'll say a prayer of dismissal for tonight. Lord, we thank you so much for the richness of your word. God, what a great, what a great reminder, mighty Lord, that no matter the situation, you are great, that you are mighty. Lord, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. God, we know that you are with us and for us. Lord, I pray your divine blessing upon your people, God. Strengthen us, encourage us, mighty Lord. God, help us to always be looking to you, God, and, and not necessarily looking to our situation, Lord. Lord God, you are wonderful and you are sovereign. We thank you so very much tonight, Lord, for the word and the presence of God that we feel in this place. Please be with these amazing people as they leave your, your house tonight. Please protect them and guide them and guard them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. And uh, we'll look forward to doing those 24 hours of, of prayer on Saturday. And make sure that you're, you come Sunday expecting some amazing things. God bless you all.
question right here. Come on. Why 